The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American, Johnny Junta. And we're joined with a longtime friend of the show. A lot of people may call him an enemy of mine because he's a Yankees player, but I wasn't. I, he's not an enemy of mine. He's a friend. It is Jamison Tyon. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, I think part of what makes us friends, though, is like the I've got Canadian roots, you know? I might play for the enemy, but. Like real, recognized, real. I've got some Canadian blood in me, and I think you can feel that. And I, I want to say this because I, you're my guy. I'm your guy. Obviously, we're boys. But when you pitched in Toronto, two things, two bugaboos. One, you didn't you didn't answer the text when I said, "What are you doing?" Like, let's fucking get coffee or something. Didn't hit. Didn't answer. Which, you is fine, <laughs> which is fine. You are Bonnie, which is fine. The second thing is, this is why I'm a massive JMO guy. Even though you are bond me, I was fighting for your life. I was at that game you were pitching. You didn't even get, I mean, whatever. I'll let it slide and get tickets, whatever. I'll send the 500 level with the drunk guys fighting for my life when they were chirping you. I was going right at them, and I was like, that's my guy. Shut up. That's my guy right there on the bump fighting for my life up there. I love and that. Were like, how is that your guy? You're sending the I was getting roasted. But just just to let you know, behind the scenes, I'm grinding for you. I'm, I, I was respecting you in the 500 levels. Just just put that crushing, crushing Molson's and Labatt Blue up in the 500 levels. Like I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, I was probably too busy to answer your text because I was just thriving so hard in Toronto. Like I was hitting all the old stomping grounds. I was hitting all the coffee shops. Um, it was pretty cool. I mean, my grandma lived up there for a really long time, and we used to go up in the summers and visit her. So like. It's nice to visit a city on the road with a little bit of like homey type feeling. Like I knew my way around and I got to see her old apartment building and stuff where she lived before she passed. So uh, it was cool to be back. Unfortunately, I got pulled from that game with my injury flaring up. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's cool. I like pitching there and I like playing there. And, and you mentioned it being your home. Did you get like a home reception? Like, cause that was in the heart of like the Jays Yankees race for the playoffs. Yeah. Like, and, and actually the game you pitched crazy story. The game you pitched was when they increased capacity to, I believe 25 yeah, or 30,000. Yeah. So it was it, the, place, the place was bumping. Like it was bumping. No, it like, was. I was fighting for my life. Like I said, but what, what was the reception you got in the bullpen? Like, were you getting chirped? Were, were they good chirps? Like what was happening? Uh, 
I don't remember. Um, I did leave some tickets for some family members, but they're family members who like are fans of me and not fans of baseball necessarily. So they were yeah. just there to support me. Uh, and then I will say like the Blue Jays have a great fan base, but normally wherever we go, like when we're in the bullpen, there's a lot of Yankees fans around and stuff. So I didn't really notice too much chirping. Um, but dude, I mean, like from the other side, the Blue Jays are a fun young team. Um, and I feel like kind of the fans and stuff reflect that. Like it just seems kind of like a party in there. And I think I pitched like a, I think it was a night game, roof open, perfect weather, right in the middle of a pennant race. Like it was pretty cool. That was one of the sickest games, man. I was so pumped for you because obviously I believe you, that was the day you came back from injury or you came back a couple days before that. Yeah. And uh, I saw I saw you were lined up. I, I think I went to every game that series. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, like I get to watch J-Mo pitch. So obviously, you were in Pittsburgh, you're in the NL. I never got to see you before. Um, and then when you get hurt and all that kind of stuff, I mean, what happened there? Like, was it just – it just yeah. got re-aggravated? Or, like, how, how did that even happen? Yeah, so I actually think I heard it the first time against the Blue Jays at Yankee Stadium. Uh, it was, like, Labor Day. I don't know what happened, but, like, the third inning, I started feeling something in, in the outside of my ankle. And then, like, the fourth inning, it got worse. I ended up throwing seven that day. And I was, like, walking to dinner with my dad and girlfriend that night, and I, like, couldn't keep up with them on the street. Like, we were just walking to, like, a local restaurant, and, like, I could hardly walk after the game. So I woke up the next day, and my foot was, like, I've got pretty bony ankles, no cankles down there. And my foot was just ballooned up. Like, couldn't even see that I had an ankle bone. Uh, so I got a PRP shot, took a couple weeks off, came back. That was my first game back. Uh, and I thought I felt something pop and I went, flew back after that game to New York, saw the doctor again. And he said like, you didn't make it any worse. There's just some stuff in there kind of rolling around. Um, so then I came back, pitched game 162 on the last day of the season and then ended up having off season ankle surgery. That was the craziest game, man, because obviously I tell a story on the podcast because you guys had to lose, and I, I'm yeah. still under the illusion that the Rays threw that game. I, I will take that to the grave. I don't know what the Dude, hell the Rays were doing there. Like, come they on. They were – so, I mean, Shane Baz started that game 162, and he's nasty, but, like, he's young and coming off 2020 where guys didn't get their innings. Like, they were kind of controlling his innings and stuff, just kind of tuning him up for the playoffs, but, like, they rolled out their whole stable of bullpen arms because they weren't going to obviously play in the wild card game. They won the division. So they rolled out like all their big dogs out of the pen and, and got everybody work. So I think the score was like one zero. I mean, or two. Yeah, it was a crazy game. I just, I was so mad because obviously I, I was at the Jays game one sixty two when they beat the Orioles by like 17. It was one of the, like, it was one yeah. close. And then yeah. they put the your game, I believe on the, no, they put, we were watching your game on my phone and, and Aaron judge, is like he's hit, base open, he's hitting runner on third, and they don't. Kevin Cash, the analytic nerd, doesn't walk him, and he hits like a game winning, I think, just the in the gap with the infield in. And I'm like, yep. what are we doing here? And I'm like, all right, the Red Sox are losing. And then they put the Red Sox game on the Jumbotron at the Rogers yep. Center, and Rafael Devers just launches a, a, a three run home run. And I was like, all right, no playoffs for the Jays, I guess. It was one of the most heartbreaking things of all time. But I mean, going into that Jays series, especially because you guys were the first team to play when the like the stadium was kind of full, kind of packed. Did you guys like look around, or even did you, especially being a guy from Canada, were you like, man, this place must be crazy in the playoffs, like bananas? Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know about necessarily looking around where we're playing and stuff, but like it, it's definitely a cool atmosphere. But most of the other stadiums have already been operating at full capacity, so like yeah. we were just coming to town from Fenway, which. 
that series for us was huge. We ended up sweep, sweeping on that series. We're just fighting for our lives. And Fenway was like, I mean, that atmosphere that weekend was so cool. And we come to Toronto and you guys brought in, the team brought in. Um, so I'd never been a part of a pennant race before. And it was pretty cool for me. Just every single game matters. Your scoreboard watching, every single pitch matters. Every single at bat matters. I mean, the AL East four team race, like, well, the race kind of ran away with it, but Red Sox, us and Jays, I mean, three really talented teams, all good at some different things. Like it was, it was fun to be a part of. I had never played in such meaningful games. Yeah. And what was it like for you to be kind of get the ball for that game? 162, man. I mean, the season's on the line. You're pitching for the most historic franchise, maybe in professional sports in North America, the Yankees. And you're on game 162 at Yankee stadium, pitching against the division leader. I mean, what, what was your nerves and thought process going into that? Because that's crazy to me, man. I mean, even you being my guy, it's like you're pitching yeah. 162 at Yankee Stadium. Like, doesn't get any better. Yeah. Not to be, like, a loser, but I've always enjoyed that level of competition. Like, I feel like, for me personally, that's always brought out the best of me. And I wish I could take that mentality to every single game that I pitch and every single pitch that I throw. Because there was something that day where, like, I knew that we needed to win. I knew that I needed a solid performance. And then I also knew that our bullpen was completely stocked behind me. So, like, I knew we had, like, Luizaga, Clay Holmes, Chad Green, Chapman. Like, I knew we were just loaded in the pen because we kind of got blown out the day before. So we just used it as an opportunity not to pitch all of our, like, high leverage guys. So I kind of had in the back of my mind, like, I would rather walk a guy or give up, like, a single as opposed to, like, you know, a home run or whatever to certain hitters. So I feel like just the thought process I had and that like raised attention to detail heightened my execution. Like I was so hyper aware of like, all right, I'm facing Mike Zanino, the dude's got 35 homers or whatever. Like I cannot hang this slider. I need to get it to where it needs to go. Whereas like in the regular season, if you're in a July game, whatever, and you're facing a seven hole hitter, you're like, my goal this game is to go as deep as possible, save the bullpen. Like there's always, you always want to win, but there's some different things on your mind too. Like I need to be pitch efficient. Like that game, that was all off the table. I didn't give a shit about my pitch efficiency. Like I just want to make pitches until they pull me. Um, so it was cool. I mean, again, I had never been a part of that. And everyone else on the Yankees probably had, like they're used to that stuff all the time. And for me, that was just totally new. Dude, and one guy that obviously you blew up the internet when you got traded was, I mean, your relationship with Garrett Cole. I'm not quite – I actually – yeah, we I, we talked about it last time, like how close you guys were and all that kind of stuff. Did he talk to you before that game, for instance, and just be like, listen, man, like just relax, just trust your shit? Or like what did he say to you before that game? Yeah, uh, he, didn't, he didn't talk to me about anything like that. Um, but if anything with Garrett, it's usually more about like comparing notes, what do you have on their hitters, what's your game plan um stuff like that like it wasn't so much mental as it was like strategy here's what we need to go out and do what are you thinking here's what i thought when i pitched against them last um kind of stuff like that and one guy that um gets i feel like he gets a bad rap i don't know why but especially with the yankee fans is aaron boone i mean what's it like playing for this guy he seems like the ultimate player coach i don't really care what some of these yankee fans say because obviously i follow a couple yankees guys on twitter 
he just seems like he's like an ultimate player coach, man. Like a guy who'll run through a brick wall for does every manager makes mistakes in some of their play calling and their game calling, all that kind of stuff. But like I said, he's one of the most personal, personable guys that will literally like tell you straight up if he thinks you're good or if he thinks you're having a bad day, like what's it like playing for him? Yeah, no, I, I, so he got off really on a solid footing with me because in spring training, like there's a lot going on and usually position players are really separated from pitchers and stuff. Booney was at like my first couple of bullpens standing right behind me, watching every single pitch, trying to get to know me, trying to get to know me as a dude and a player. He was behind me for my first live batting practices, sim games. Um, so I think that was probably the first time I've ever had a manager, like just take that much ownership in the pitching side of things. Um, usually, I mean, managers are position players. Like there's, I don't know if there's any managers in baseball in the big leagues who are pitchers. Um so, yeah, just to see that he took pride and, like, ownership in his pitching staff was pretty cool for me. Um, so, like you said, that right there was, like, I'd run through a brick wall for this dude. Like, he showed up for me. I'm going to show up for him. Um, and I think I think the Yankees have done a good job just staff-wide of, like, our staff is extremely professional, but they're also – they're good humans, but they're also pretty low-key. Like, it's such a stressful city and such a stressful, like, market that I feel like they've done a good job of trying to surround the players in the clubhouse with like really level-headed dudes day in and day out guys who don't ride the ups and downs. Um, you know, he's not a yeller. He's not a screamer. He can be, I guess if he needs to be, but like for the most part, our staff was so level-headed and so process oriented. Like for me being new to the city and new to an organization like that, that helped a lot. And, and obviously we go, like, they talk about, like, the Patriot way, the Yankees way, all that kind of stuff. What was, like, the first impression you got of, like, wow, like, I'm in this – is, this is a completely different operation than what I was in in Pittsburgh. Or, like, what was a couple of reality checks you got when you were there? Just difference, difference in, like, the way you guys approach things or just different – or anything. Like, what was the biggest thing you noticed? Yeah. Uh, I would say – one of the first days of spring training, whenever the pitchers came and joined the position players, they had us separated at first, whenever like the clubhouse became one, uh, I would say just how many dudes were in the weight room, like early spring training, I wouldn't blame a position player if they weren't in there doing their perfect warm up or activation or lift or, you know, position player. If you played seven innings in spring training or whatever, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't go into the weight room and get your lift in, but like just, competing for space in the weight room like guys were in there taking ownership of their careers and their bodies not to say like in Pittsburgh it was just different like it was a different atmosphere it's hard to explain but in New York just walking into that weight room and seeing a guy like Aaron Judge playing in his first game of spring training and then going and getting his work in and the attention to detail to the weight room and to all like facets of of his career and his body and stuff was pretty cool uh what else I, I mean, listening to the way guys talk about the game and, like, pay attention to the game is different. Um, you know, in Pittsburgh, let's say you're not pitching that day. Like, I definitely contributed to this. Like, I would just sit on the bench. I would just kind of shoot the shit, watch the game casually. I feel like in New York, like, when Kluber's not pitching or Garrett's not pitching or Montgomery's not pitching, like, they're watching the game. Like, the next day they will talk to me about my start. They'll come up to me and be like wow. – They'll be like, that 2-1 slider you threw, what were you thinking? Like, what was your target? What was the shape you were thinking of? Like, I mean, dudes are, like, clocked in and watching, which is cool. That is crazy, man. I mean, it's just – I don't know. I guess it's just the difference of you're playing for, like, an historic franchise. So, 
even a playoff appearance, like in Pittsburgh, you make the playoffs. It's like, holy shit, like, let's go. In the Yankees, yeah. you make the playoffs. Is we're not even close to being like the fans aren't even close to being happy. And we're talking yeah. about the fans here. And we always get hilarious stories about fans just being absolutely reckless to opposing teams. Did you ever get a chance to kind of see how reckless fans can be at Yankee Stadium, or did you ever catch it? Because you, I mean, you never really struggled there. I mean, you, you were one of the guys that I, I, I scored well at home. Yeah, and, and I, I got I struggled on the road. I didn't struggle. I picked my my right places to struggle, I guess, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, when the Astros came to town, it was only like 10,000 capacity. And I swear that was the loudest big league game I've ever experienced. <laughs> 10,000 fans. Like, I mean, they didn't forget. I wasn't a part of those teams. I wasn't in the American League. I, yeah. you know, I wasn't impacted by it. But, like, the fans were waiting for that moment to get it off of their chest. And they did. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, like, I, I guess you'd have to talk to opposing players, but I didn't ever see anything crazy or bad or, you know, whatever. Do you ever look back at that Pittsburgh pitching staff and be like, man, did we have something special there? Cause you're obviously I was playing cod with Musgrove yesterday or two days ago. Actually it was yesterday. And I think we talked about, it, it was just like, man, you had you, you had must. I mean, it was one, it was such a good pitching staff. Do you ever look back at it and be like, if we were a little bit older and a little bit more experienced, we would have been just an absolute, menace to society with that pitching staff like do you look back at that yeah Yeah, I thought about it a lot more like right as I got traded like I don't really think about it anymore but it it for sure was something like it would have been interesting I mean small market teams don't seem to keep their players around long term or they don't make the same effort that you know larger market teams or even mid-market teams make to keep their players um so they decide and you know they're rebuilding too trying to build up a farm system so I like I get it um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would have been interesting, but at the same time, like Musgrove was already a good big league pitcher, but maybe it took him going to a new team and a new clubhouse and a new division to like, or maybe to hear a message from a pitching coach to take that next step. You know, I, I don't know, like people make so much out of players leave Pittsburgh and get better. It's like, sometimes it's just like change the growing process. Yeah. You, it's not so much about what Pittsburgh's doing wrong. It's like, sometimes it's just time for a change. So I don't know. Exactly. No, you hit the nail on the head with that. But I I wanted to, because obviously going to the AL East and all that kind of stuff, you're visiting new opposing ballparks and all that kind of stuff. What's, what's a stadium you visited in the AL that you didn't visit with Pittsburgh or even that you did, but you visited it more times that you're like, man, this city's awesome. Like, I I love this place. Like, what what was that for you? Dude, I'm going to get roasted for saying this probably, but I really like playing in Boston. Like, the rivalry, like I had never been a part of it. Uh, so this year, like the Yankees and the Red Sox, both teams were competitive and good. I feel like those games, we play them really close. They play us close and tough. You go in there, you know, it's going to be a dog fight. You know, the fans are going to bring it. Historic ballpark. Like, uh, I mean, I liked the hotel we stayed at in Boston. I had some good dinners and coffees and stuff like that. But like showing up to Fenway, I think the rivalry is good for the game. Uh, they have a lot of good young players. We have a really solid team. Like, I just enjoyed that competition and being a part of that. Um, yeah, I mean, the AL East, is, it's a dogfight. Like, you go into all those stadiums and those teams come to town and you know, like, you're going to battle. Um, I had never been – I had actually, like, through interleague play, I had been to most American League stadiums. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that, like, stood out to me this year. I like going to Seattle a lot. That's – this was my second time going. Seattle's always cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I heard Seattle's unbelievable. It just sucks Robbie Ray's there. He's gone now, but it's Kevin Gossman time in Toronto. You just love to see it. I mean, but dude, that's actually crazy to me. So you like pitching in Boston, but are the fans, did you get to see, because I love talking about the fans, like how crazy some of these people are. Did you get to see that rivalry? Like where some players being like, man, this fan is on my ass in right field or at first base or stuff like that. Because they're on top of you, right? Like Luplo said, they're literally on top of you. They're like beside you. Well, yeah, I have a different view. Like, I'm either on the mound or in the dugout, so I don't really get to see all that. But uh, I didn't really hear too much of that. Like, guys coming back and saying, you know, they were getting roasted or whatever. But um, you get to see how rowdy they are. Like, in between innings, they blare music at Fenway, and they pan the camera all around the park. And people are just, like, throwing beer up in the air, and everyone's dancing and having a good time. So it's definitely a cool environment. And did you learn anything from Garrett Cole? Because obviously you guys were kind of with each other when Garrett Cole was good, but he wasn't nearly as good as he like was with the Astros and now, and the way he is now. Like, has he taught you anything mental mental wise, or even like some pitch grips, or just anything along those lines? Now, yeah, uh, I'd say one of the biggest things with Garrett is like just being able to share a clubhouse with him. So it's not like one thing he said changed my life, but it's like that day in and day out, getting to watch him play, catch with him, watch him work, watch him compete be in the meeting rooms with them, be in the weight room with them, like kind of just following him around the locker room. Um, you know, you just over the course of a year, you understand why he's as good as he is. Like there's attention to detail in everything he does. There's a reason behind everything he does. Um, I would say like the difference now between playing with him when I was younger is his process is like way more refined. He's way more sure of who he is as a human. Like he's way more sure of what he's doing all over the locker room, like as a leader, as a competitor, as a, you know, his diet, his nutrition, like everything is just so refined and he's just so confident in what he's doing. Would you say that just seeing how yoked some of your teammates are like Luke Voigt, Aaron judge, you've kind of, let's just say slum, slim down or just cut the body fat a little bit. Like, are, are you starting to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, damn, like these biceps are kind of looking a little bit bigger because that, that locker room is just full of yoked guys. looks like a There's professional weightlifting team. Yeah, we've got some really big dudes. Uh, I So I actually just got down to Tampa. It was time to, like, just come down to the warmer weather, be outside. And I'm going to the same place that Voight works out at. And he was doing an upper body workout today. And I was like, hey, dude, do you want me to hop in on bench? Like, I don't barbell bench press. It's not, like, good for pitchers. He was just getting after it in there. Like, he is massive. So I was like, you want me to work in with you? Like, you want me to, want me to spot you? But, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone in there is, like, super uh focused on like throughout the course of a year you know you just have to clock in do your routine your correctives your mobilities you have to eat properly and like these dudes are all pretty locked into it like it's no secret they are as big and look as good as they do in a uniform and dude like i totally forgot about this you're playing with goddamn anthony rizzo like a literal legend in the game of baseball and i mean obviously me being italian you see it behind me the italian flags all that kind of stuff what's it like playing with for me, like a, a legend in, in the Italian community and the baseball community, I freaking I love this dude. Like I love this guy. He's a beauty. Yeah, uh, I played against him a lot in the NL Central, and he owned me. Like you can look up the numbers if you want, but seriously, like if you, if people ask me who are your toughest outs in the big leagues, like Rizzo is probably top three. Like the dude hit a line drive off my face, a couple of home runs, like. He just literally owned me in the NL Central. So I was so happy to have him on our team. Uh, he comes in at the trade deadline. He took no time getting to know everybody. 
he was, you know, on the card table on the flights right away. Like he's just super personable. Like how you think he would be is exactly how he is. Like he's just a locker room beauty, good dude, uh, you know, in the dugout. He's a leader. He stepped in in that series in Miami and I was pitching, I think the first day he got there and he instantly was like, all right, here's what we're going to do on bunk coverage. Like you take this, otherwise I got you over here. Like he just stepped right in and made an impact right away. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Dude, it's I love that guy. He's like a me in the locker room, like a gel guy, <laughs> but he's a little bit better. Like, or not? He's well, a actually, gel guy. He's, yeah, he's, he's a, a lot big better. Gel guy. And he's like the thing that I like about him is he could be like zero for fifty or twenty five for fifty, and he's just still a beauty or a legend yeah. in the locker room. Like he doesn't give a shit. I mean, he does give a shit, but he's just such a good team guy. It's always like in in my mind, I was pissed when you guys got him because I was like, all right, that's another guy in the AL East that's just gonna absolutely mash. But dude, I gotta bring up Aaron Judge because. Luplo always tells stories about in college when Aaron Judge looked like a man amongst boys, and he's just like, I don't, I don't think I've really put into my mind how big Aaron Judge is. Like, he looks like a, like a, he plays in the NBA. He's just so tall and jacked. What's it like playing with this guy and getting to see how what this, how this guy approaches every single game, every single at bat? Because I hate, I hate how good he is. I'll be honest, I hate how good he is. He's a really good teammate. Um, he's a good ball player. Like normally, you see someone his size, and you're like batting practice like light tower power showcase player but like he's extremely good at defense he's a good base runner his arm is extremely accurate like he does the little things right that like a fourth outfielder would do you know what I mean like for a superstar player he does all the little things well um which I feel like is rare uh but I also think like what's so impressive about him is there's something about when people play the Yankees like opposing pitchers their their velocity goes up a little bit uh like you come to yankee stadium guys that sit 92 sit 94 and then you see aaron judge in the batter's box that 94 becomes 95 96 like he's getting everyone <laughs> best shit every at bat for six months straight like you put anyone up there to face aaron judge like you they're gonna give them their absolute best and the dude still hit like 300 with 35 homers or whatever 950 OPS like and he's seeing everyone's absolute best stuff like he is not getting pitched the same way there's maybe five other dudes in all of baseball who get pitched the way he gets pitched and he's still putting up the numbers he puts up which is incredible it's he's like a superhuman man and like we're talking about the AL East here I mean you got obviously with the Jays you got the young guns like Vladdy, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez 
By the way, we're, you want to talk about underrated pro, like stars is Teoscar Hernandez, man. I mean, oh, this yeah. guy hit like I think he hit 300, 300 plus with like thirty something nukes and over ninety RBIs. I could be wrong. Obviously, I don't remember. It was so long ago. Yeah, I ago. think he had over hundred RBIs. Yeah, maybe. he he like, is a menace, and no one really talks about him because he gets overshadowed. But the AL East, like you mentioned, man, every single time you face an AL East lineup, like the Rays, you're playing Wander Franco. It's like you're yeah. you're playing just superstars day in and day out. It's so impressive to me. So, I mean, was that – have you changed your, like, preparation with it, obviously? Because you're, like – last year, I mean, you did well. I mean, Yankees Twitter legit loved you last year. They're always talking about, like, how consistent you are. I mean, obviously you were injured, like, for a little bit of it, but you were one of the most consistent guys, you and Garrett Cole, for sure. So, how, did you change the preparation or anything, like, the way you approach, or have you kind of kept it the same? Uh, definitely took some adjusting to the division. Like, the NL Central, when I first came up at- – everyone was throwing hard sinkers like there are you know three to four hitters in every lineup that could do serious damage if that but like very scrappy they would move runners over drive them in the AL East like they're playing for the beginning they're playing for homers walks um I, like you said I think a lineup like the Blue Jays I think they just kind of feed off each other so like I mean shit you have Springer leading off when he's healthy and then you go Marcus Simeon and you have to pitch to Marcus Simeon because on deck is Vladdy. You have to pitch to Vladdy because on deck is Bo Bichette. You have to pitch <laughs> to Bo Bichette because on deck is Teoscar Hernandez. And then, like, you get through the gauntlet and you still have, like, Guriel. Corey you Dickerson, good, yeah. Yeah, Corey Dickerson. He's been an all-star in, in the big leagues a couple, maybe a couple times. Like, there's just so much protection and you have to pitch to each guy. So it's a little bit of both. Like, you have to be careful, but at the same time, like you have to be careful not to let the names on the back of guys' jerseys like impact you too much because you have to compete and like go at each hitter. You can't pitch around guys. Yeah, no, dude, it was crazy. And I was actually I so I said if the Jays won that game that Garrett Cole pitched, it was one of the best games I think I've ever been to. It was Garrett Cole versus I believe it was Garrett Cole versus Barrios. Was it yeah, or Garrett Cole versus Barrios. And that was yeah. I'm not even lying. Like, I don't know. You said you flew out after that, but that was one of the best games I've ever watched literally in my life. I, yeah. Were you there for that? You, I was there? there for that one. You yeah. were there, how, I mean, that was one of the best games. And I said, at the Jays won that I'd wear a suit the next day. So I wore a suit to the next game at the Jays game, most uncomfortable experience of my life. And that was the day Garrett or uh, Aaron judge hit a ball off the scoreboard. Yeah. Do you remember that? I wasn't run? there for that one, but the Barrios Garrett game. I was like, I mean, Garrett gave up like four or five runs, but he actually threw the ball like really, really well. He was hitting a hundred consistently. Yeah. (laughs) This stuff was ridiculous. Barrios, like in Toronto, they show the pitch data on the scoreboard. Yeah. And Barrios is throwing sinkers with like 20 inches of horizontal run at 94, 95 miles an hour, which is like just absurd. Um, His stuff was so good that night. Um, Yeah. I remember that game really well. That was a well-pitched, like well-played, good, solid major league game. Yeah, man, it was, it was crazy to me. But, dude, like I said, man, it's just – especially seeing you, p- like, pitching competitive baseball games, man. I mean, it's something – it's such a massive adjustment. And we talked about it with – like, I talked about it with Musgrove, all these guys. Like, you're going to te- – it's not like you're going to bottom feeder teams here. Like, you're going to legit contender teams. So, what was, like, the first thing you – like, that was running through your head when you put on the pinstripes? Because everyone mentions they remember the first time they put on a big league uniform. They do all that kind of stuff. But you're literally wearing the same uniform that Lou Gehrig wore. 
that Babe Ruth wore, that all these legends, Joe DiMaggio wore. So did you kind of put that jersey on for the first time or your first start in Yankee Stadium and just kind of take a step back and be like, holy shit, like I'm pitching for the Yankees? Yeah. Yeah, and I think a cool thing with the Yankees, like with Pittsburgh, we had a bunch of like we had different jerseys, different hats with the Yankees. Like you have one hat, one jersey. Like when you're at home, you're there's no alternatives. Like you're wearing the pinstripes. And that says enough right there. But it is cool. Like I feel like in the locker room, you can kind of feel the history of the organization or like the legacy, like the way guys go about their business, the carryover from champ like there hasn't been a championship in a while, but like Gardner was a part of that. Gardner's really passed it down to a bunch of guys in the locker room. Gardner was connected to the older Yankee gen. Like he was connected to the Jeters and the yeah. Posada. Like you just start connecting the dots and like the lineage and you can actually kind of feel it. Like there's carryover. Whereas in a lot of other organizations, you trade away a bunch of guys before they get to pass things on to the prospects and minor leaguers. And here I feel like there's something about it. You can just feel that there's a certain expectation and everyone kind of understands it. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. Obviously, like I said, their fans are crazy to me. I I don't know, like, and the media for sure, because you guys went through a little skid, I believe, right? You guys, you guys had like a six six or seven game lead on the Jays, and the Jays went on that like twelve or thirteen game win streak or twelve game win streak. What was like? Do you guys listen to not the not listen to the outside media, but do you feel it when people are starting to be like really hard on the team? Because Yankee Twitter, when you guys were going through that little skid was banana it was like fire everyone trade everyone like i don't know how you guys yeah. deal with that shit and the reporters get awfully personal with you guys like they'll just come at you so what was it like in the locker room during that time period or what was it like during that skid when it was the reporters are trying to get like those questions out of you those quotes out of you because it must have been crazy yeah. uh i gotta be honest like it's one of those situations where i'm I'm not a judge or a Garrett Cole. So those dudes really have to answer the bell and have to answer the tough questions, uh, which allows guys like me to like free up and just kind of play our game. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you can even feel it in the locker room sometimes like guys expect to win. And when it's not being done, it's like, we're not going to just sit back and let it happen. Like, what can we do to get out of this funk? And guys talk about it and things change and guys might change their preparation or whatever it is. So I don't really know from the outside, but from the inside, like there is an expectation to win too. So it's like, this sounds cliche, but no one's harder on us than ourselves. So yeah. say what you yeah. want. Like if I give up seven runs or something, like I know that's not going to cut it. Like I understand. And nothing you say is going to make me feel any better or worse. Like, <laughs> I'm well aware what I need to do. Um, so, I mean, if I give up a bunch of runs and you want to be tough on me, like, I probably deserve it. I'm not getting the job done. So I don't know. And I, and I, and you actually posted a couple of videos that made me want to run through a brick wall recently of you pitching, getting back to it and all that kind of stuff. How, how do you feel, man? I mean, you obviously your shit's looking electric last year. You ended it off on a, like I said, a good note game. 162. You guys got the win low scoring game, very well pitched. So how, how have you been feeling besides the fans decide, like just deciding to chirp you for pitching with a mask on? Like, I don't know what was what that was coming from, but whatever. Twitter's gonna Twitter, but how, like, how do you feel like on on a pitching wise, mental wise, all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so it's definitely been a weird off season. Like, I was non weight bearing for like six weeks, so I literally couldn't like stand up and walk. I had to use a knee scooter and stuff for six weeks. So normally, I would start working out in the off season like a couple of weeks in, and this year, that's just kind of all gone out the window. And I'm I feel like a part of me is trying to play catch up, uh, like, and I'm trying to get in the best shape of my life but another part of me is like 
let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And that's going to be rehabbing the sample properly and like getting back to full health throwing wise that comes for, so like my priority right now is physical therapy, rehab, my throwing program and all the lifting and like strength training I'm doing. is just like a cherry on top and a plus. Uh, yeah, I haven't thrown any bullpens yet, which normally I'd probably be like three or four bullpens deep right now. So I'm a little behind like for right now, but I feel like I can also play some catch up and I'm not too far behind. Did you and Luplo compare notes with that uh, scooter? Because uh, Luplo had it too. Dude. I don't know if you saw that. I, yeah, I did see that. I So, dude, I was like in my post-surgery splint still, like not even in a walking boot. And I was just getting stir crazy. And I told my girlfriend, I was like, it was like a beautiful Sunday afternoon. I was like, I can't watch the outside world just like go by me. Like I need to go outside. I need fresh air. I'd been inside probably for like five days straight on the couch. So we're like, you know what? There's this awesome coffee shop right at the corner, not far, like 400 feet, 500 feet. Let's go down there. I'll scoot my ass down there. And there's cracks on the sidewalk in New York City, like just little bumps. <laughs> and I'm like scooting and I'm trying to like almost bunny hop them because the cracks, like the bumps would hurt my foot. So I was kind of like trying to like lift up and not take the bump. Uh, and one time I got, I was moving a little quick. My girlfriend even told me, she's like, you're getting a little too cocky, slow down. <laughs> and I tried to bunny hop a little bit and my scooter kind of like went sideways and I fell a little bit and I'm not supposed to be weight bearing at this point. I like slammed my foot down and in my head right away, I'm like, great. I just ruined the surgery. The surgery's done. <laughs> it's not successful. Like I need to go back into another surgery. Perfect. So I get back, I text the doctor, I text our PT, like, start shooting out time doing research. Like, how do you know if you ruined your surgery? Everyone texted me back and they were just like, you're fine. You would know if you messed it up. You're completely fine. I was like being the biggest baby with it, but I don't know. I mean, my body's my career, I guess, but I was literally like in the middle of the sidewalk throwing a temper tantrum in New York city. And dude, Luplo, I, I, like I said, man, Luplo, I, I guess you, I don't know if Luplo was allowed to be weight bearing. I mean, this guy was like, you'd think he's just, just normal. I mean, he was all around the scooter, just everywhere. It was just electric. I, I was going to say, just, you both were going through. It's like when friends go through pregnancies together. You guys were both <laughs> going through the ankle being ankle surgery together or whatever it was. But yeah, man, I mean, so the second last thing that I wanted to bring up is obviously where, where do you, what, what do you think is happening? Like, do you think we're going to have a seat? I just had Chelsea Janes on with the Washington post. She talked about um, like the, the request that the players have and the request that the owners have and all that kind of stuff. Where do you stand on it? Like, I mean, do you think we're going to have a, like the season's going to start on time? Cause we're, we're two weeks out from pitchers and catchers, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I don't know about the timing of the season. Like I really don't. I like, I would think as a player, we have to have a final date where if we go past a certain date, like we have to delay the season because otherwise you're starting to risk player safety and health. Like, Pitchers need to build up. You need to build your innings up. Hitters need live game reps. Like, I think we need to be careful with this thing because if we rush into a season at, like, let's say we don't get a deal done until like early March and then we try to keep the season on time, like, I'd be afraid for player injury and stuff. But, um, you know, there's dialogue going back and forth. I think both sides have made it really clear where they stand. And now it's going to be about, you know, are both sides willing to come down and find a middle ground or who's going to stand their ground? Um, you know, I'm on a lot of these calls and I feel like from the player side, you know, I, I understand the optics of like millionaires versus billionaires, but like the player side is really trying to support the players making the minimum, 
the minimum. Not every player is making millions of dollars. There's players who only play 10 days in the big leagues. We're trying to take care of those guys too. So there's a lot at work, but obviously the fans just want baseball and they don't really care about all the finer things. Like they just want a good product on the field. So we need to make it happen. And do I have the impression of this correct? Because Chelsea Jane, she said that you guys, the players feel like the owners have gone away with shit for too long. Is, am I correct in, in saying that? Because in the last three, four CBAs, it, the, the impression that she said was that like owners just kind of not dog walk the players, but they got away with a lot of shit. Like for instance, the, the floor, you guys are fighting to have like a, a salary cap floor. Is that correct? Where there's a minimum amount of money to spend? Uh, not necessarily. So we're one of the only major sports leagues that's not capped and floored. Yeah. So we're like an open market. So we would not want to give that up per se, but we are trying to get the smaller market teams more involved. So how can we, like even a Pittsburgh situation, like how can we get a team like Pittsburgh to want to be competitive year in, year out versus constantly rebuilding or trading away their solid big league players? Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot at work raising the minimum. The free agency uh, getting, one's a big one, right? Yeah, getting, I mean, getting money in the pockets of younger players, like whether that's through like a pre-art, like a arbitration pool, like a pre-art pool. So if you're oh, service time manipulations, another. Um, but you have to make teams want to end service time manipulation. Like, how can we make it for them to? We're calling up that prospect and winning a couple extra games really does matter. Like. The Chris Bryant case is used a lot, but there's so many others where, like, guys just magically get called up in June when they were really ready all year. They did it to uh, Vladdy. Yeah. <laughs> they did. The Pirates did it to me, and I'm not a player of that caliber. But, yeah. like, 2016, I was sitting in AAA with, like, a 1.5 ERA <laughs> while, like, our big league staff was kind of getting bombed. And, like, at that point in time, like, there wasn't much left for me to work on in AAA. And I'm just sitting there, and then miraculously on June 9th, I'm ready to go. It's yeah, like, come on. So but she said, yeah, she said that the owners are trying to make it seem like there's no such thing as service time manipulation. Like they're trying to make it seem like that's not a thing. But how can you argue that when you have, like you mentioned, the Chris Bryant one, which is the, the most talked about argument for sure, is you have Chris Bryant, who's literally probably hitting like 600 in AAA and he's not ready yet. Like and same with Boba Shett too. There, there's a ton of the instances, but you even hear sometimes like GMs and owners will get quoted on it. Like the Mariners president who's i don't think any longer with the team just straight up said like we're gonna manipulate service time like we have to our market we need to control our players like we're gonna manipulate service time so that's just you know so it is a thing you can't deny that it's not a thing anyone who says it's not it's lying and being a part of those meetings like what would you say and chelsea said 50 50 with the season starting on time like just based off of how different you guys are in the in agreements and all that kind of stuff, what would you say the chance is just based off of you just being a player? And like you said, like knowing a little bit more about it, what would you say like the chance would be that there's like, we start on time pitchers and catchers reporting in like two, three weeks or whatever it is. Honestly, I, I have no idea. Like I can't even put a number on it because it seems like we're far apart, but at the same time, like I think both sides now understand like, I think they understand where we stand. We under, we understand where they stand. And now it's going to be about, like, productive dialogue back and forth. Um, and whether that happens or not, like, I have no idea. That's, you know, about my pay grade. So, like, I really, truly don't know. But I do think at least there's productive conversation going on. And, like, both sides have made their stances pretty clear. So, hopefully, once you know whose side, you know, where each side stands, like, 
that's where you can start really having good dialogue. But as far as the season goes, like there's going to be baseball. I just, yeah, I, I have no idea when. Yeah. I mean, we'll do this. This is, this is completely off topic, but we'll do this. So obviously you guys come to Toronto with shit on here. So we're going to do that. And I, this actually pains me to say this. I might get roasted for it. When you pitch against the Jays. All right. Whenever that happens, whatever day, if you get over five punch outs, I will wear a Jameson tie on Yankees Jersey to the next game. I might get body bagged by a, a couple of listeners of the show, a couple of fans of the show, but I'll do it. So you just have that in the back of your mind, my confidence level, because I'm confident you're going to do it, so I might have to order the jersey now. If you get over five punches against the Jays at Rogers Center, the next game I will be wearing a Jamison tie-on Yankees jersey. Yes. Maybe Dude, getting – I need it. I might get – oh, it's going to be bad. I might get, like, shit thrown at me, roasted, all that kind of stuff, but I'll do it. Jamison tie-on Yankees jersey when you guys play in Toronto. And this is the last thing I want to talk about here. So you guys come to Toronto. We always do a jersey swap. Right. So I, every single time we have a guest, I don't know if you see it on, on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. I do yeah. a jersey swap on Instagram. Okay. So I'll, I'll before the game, we do like obviously it's a joke because I was dog shit at baseball. But I do a jersey swap where I give the guy a hoodie of the fish unofficial hoodie. We get a picture pregame Ooh. and we're going to do that. So whenever you come to Toronto, I'm just offering it to you right now. We're going to do a jersey swap. So just Love write it. it down somewhere. We're going to break the Internet. We're going to do it. I did it with Luplo, Oscar Mercado. I'm just pumping my own tires. Humble brag. We're going to do yeah. it. And the last I thing here, and yeah, we'll get you the hoodie. And the last thing here that I want to talk about is give the Yankees fans a little bit of an idea of what they're going to get from you next year. Cause obviously, like I said, you, you made strides at the end of the year last year. What are Yankee fans going to be getting from you going into next season? Yeah. So I think last year, it was my first year of pitching in a little while. I'd been, you know, rehabbing my elbow for a while. So it was kind of a learning curve for me. And I felt like I was super up and down. I had some really good starts. I had some really, really bad starts where I put the team in a hole um so i think having an off season to sit back and assess you know how the season went has given me some really clear goals um so even like mechanically i have a really good idea of what i'm working on mechanically i'm trying to i shorten my mechanics i'm going to loosen up my arm a little bit i think i'm going to throw a little harder i'm going to start throwing my curveball harder again um i'm going to throw my sinker a little more i developed a change up that i really like halfway through the year so I get to grow on that. Um, and just like my style of pitching, I think having an off season now to like really process it and assess how the year went is going to help me. So I would just say much more consistent, not as many highs and lows. I'm just going to be how I used to be with Pittsburgh, like just much more consistent. You know, I'm going out there giving a quality start more times than not keeping the team in games. Um, so yeah, I, th I think that's the main thing is that I'm really clear on what went right and what went wrong last year. And I know what I need to do to like bring out the right more often than not. All right. I mean, that fires me up. I'm going to clip that, put that, get that on Yankees Twitter, get the people yeah, let's fired go. up, get the people fired up. And like I said, let, and obviously I'm pumping my own tires last week, 24, we had Luke Jackson, Ty, or Luke Jackson, Tyler Matzik on the pod. We made it up to 24 in the U S charts. We're aiming for one. We're going to try I, to go I for don't know if I can compete with that, dude. They're, they're world series champs. It's all right. like, like, yeah, Yankees Twitter shows up though. Yankees Twitter does show up. Okay. But anyways, man, like I said, best of luck next year. Whenever you face the Jays, it's all JMO. It's all JMO time. Like I said, I'm fighting for my life in the stands after a couple <laughs> beers, a couple dips. And actually I always do this. Like when, I, when I'm at the Rogers center and like a friend of the show is playing or whatever, or I'm watching someone, I always have a dip in. I think I had the biggest dip in my life when you're pitching. I think I broke the Rogers center record. I tweeted dude. it. I had to. I just want to say I respect that you're a diehard Jays fan and you can root for me because it, it's funny. Like you run into two types of people, people that meet me and they're like for the rest of my life, no matter what, like I'm a diehard 
uh, I just met someone the other day. They're like, I'm a Tigers fan. I'm like, you know what? When you're pitching, like, I am a fan of yours. I want you to dominate. Like, and that, that means a lot as a player. Like, but I've also had the flip side. They're like, I've met you. You're a nice guy, but I want you to get absolutely shit on. And it's like, <laughs> damn, dude. Like, there's a human element to this. Or like, I get rooting for teams, but that's cool that you can root for like the dude and the player too. Yeah, dude, I'm fired up for you, man. It's cool. It's good to see that you're back. How like you're feeling healthy, you're all that kind of stuff. Obviously, like you said, you're a little bit behind, but the, the season starts in two. We'll, or three we'll get months, there. Right? Yeah, the season starts two, three months, man. You have time. That's what spring training's for. But anyways, man, like I said, five plus strikeouts, five actually counts. Yeah. It's not a push. I'll wear. I'll wear yeah. the JMO jersey. I'm excited to see what you do this year, man. And uh, I'm not gonna say let's go Yankees. Let's go JMO. Let's go JMO okay, next yeah, year. Let's let's go. Let's go. I respect it. Let's go. All right, dude. Yeah, good talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Thank you.